0: And I think that the
1: job of the coordinator, maybe the most important job as far as the game plan goes, is are you out in front of the problems that you have? And can you use the information on the tape to figure out what's coming next?
0: On today's podcast, we talked to a coach who definitely has put in his time and paid his dues as he's climbed the ranks from high school all the way to professional football. A lot of stops along the way, as well as a lot of experience that he's gained. And we're excited to have him here on the podcast today, the defensive coordinator of the Michigan Panthers, Dan Carroll. Dan, it's great to have you here.
1: I appreciate it, Keith. It's great to be
0: here. So, Coach, as I mentioned, man, a lot of stops along the way. You've really put in your time but you know in in looking at your bio and the places you've been and the time you spent probably being poor that you've been really committed (laughs) to this that this is definitely something that's a passion for you and something that you're all in on so talk to us a little bit though about why you became a coach you know what has driven you through times where it's not always easy to be year after year you know working as a graduate assistant or intern or all those things along the way so what's driven you?
1: Well, you know, I think I became a coach. I started off in this profession just because I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to be done with football. I got done playing, you know, a pretty average career, below average career for a D2 player. But I think I wasn't ready to leave the locker room. You know, there's that time at the end of, at the end of your career and you go clean it out for the last time and you're walking out of there and it's like, what's next? And like, I wasn't ready to leave. And I think you started in this thing, and it, truthfully, it was about me. Like, I got started in it and it was about me and me not being ready to be done with football, but – Certainly over the years, I stayed in it, and it's been about other people. It's been about relationships with the players, relationships with other coaches, and just, just the camaraderie in the team you get, you know, being a coach. And, you know, I always tell people that the synopsis I got in it, it was about me, and it was selfish reasons to get involved. And then it was, I think, hopefully selfless reasons and relationships as to why I've stayed involved over the years and stayed stayed as a coach and continued on this. And certainly I would be remiss and maybe in trouble if I didn't mention the fact that, you know, my wife supported me through this whole thing. And at times when it didn't seem great or, you know, all the moves and all the things, and she's always been right there as a trooper and supporting me and pushing me to do more. So you know, I appreciate her and other people in my life like that, that have kind of kept it going.
0: Well, and, and being able to, to keep it going along the way, uh, you're certainly absorbing a lot. You're learning a lot, regardless of the positions you're in. So as you look back, you know, especially towards the beginning, who were some of those mentors for you in the game and teaching you the, all the different aspects of coaching? And what were some of the important lessons you learned that are part of who you are today?
1: I really believe I've tried to learn a lot from a lot of different people. I don't know how many people would consider me a, a mentee, but – You know, I've had so many great coaches I've had a chance to work for. It's really just the wealth of knowledge I've gotten out of this profession already has been more than enough compensation. But, you know, I got to Ohio State, and uh, it was my first, you know, I had been a strength intern in South Carolina. I would coached D2 football. I coached high school football. And I got to Ohio State basically as an intern, as a volunteer, working with the offensive line. Never really worked on offense before. Hadn't really played offense since high school. I worked for Ed Warner. And, you know, I always say this. I say, Ed Warner, I don't coach offense, but he taught me how to be a coach, how to prepare people. How to, you know, what type of information they need, how to synthesize information, how to take a a four hour staff meeting, the offensive staff meeting and turn it into a 45 minute position meeting. You know, and I think those things are, are invaluable lessons for coaches. It certainly was for me. And just, you know, I learned how to coach there. And then I left there to be a GA at University of Kentucky. And I know somebody you know, obviously, really well, DJ Elliott, and then Mark Stoops was in there. And, I mean, then Derek Ainsley was our DB coach, and he's with the Chargers now. I've been a defense coordinator at Tennessee, and Jimmy Brumbaugh and Craig Knight. I mean, it was just a really, really strong defensive staff at that time. And I know maybe our record didn't always show up, but – it, the lessons in that room from a defensive perspective were unbelievable. So you know, I feel like Ed Warner taught me how to coach Mark Stoops, DJ Elliott and that Kentucky staff. They taught me what coaching defense. And that's my foundation. I think, you know, I've learned a lot since then and I've worked for a lot of great coordinators and a lot of great people, but my foundation is learning coaching specifics and, and how to be a guy who leads a group and prepares men from Ed Warner and then learning what, what defense is and defensive structure and, and how to, you know, how to install things and coach things from, from DJ LA from mark stoops and from the guys that were in that in that staff room there
0: yeah you you bring up an important lesson i don't think we've really talked about it on this this podcast those meetings can get long and there's certainly a lot of information shared in staff meetings and you're right i mean everything we do eventually has to be boiled down so it is easily understood and able to be executed by the player so what were some things you learned from coach warner that in that process, being able to take all that information and then get it to something that's really actionable for your players?
1: Man, you know, you get deep into some of these conversations. You get to be around some coaches that have such a high level of intellect and high level of football. And, you know, I was in that staff room, that offensive staff room, and, and Tom Herman was the offensive coordinator, and obviously he has documented success as a coordinator and a head coach. And Stan Drayton was in there. He's now head coach at Temple. And, and there were just some great guys. And I mean, the other GA's. We're both power five position coaches right now. And I think the biggest thing that Ed Warner, that I learned from him was like, what do the players need to know to execute their job to the level that we expect at Ohio State? And if there's something that they don't need to know, don't waste your time. You know, now as a coach, you have to, Really be, you know, because you might think there's something they don't need to know. And then, you know, you don't get that point across and they don't understand that part. And then it it shows up in the game and I man, maybe I should have done this better, done that better. But I think he was really good at taking four hours, five hours, six hours, eight hours worth of notes. And then saying, here's the page and a half that they actually need. This is how we can get our job done. This is what we got to be able to execute. These are the plays. These are the calls. These are the things we can expect to see. And so this is what we need to focus on. So our install tapes, you know, our meeting stuff, our notes, the things that we give the players, this is what it's got to be. And it's got to be focused around these things. And, you know, as the week would go on and we'd make adjustments and whatnot, we would obviously see things that, you know, this is got to to do better here, got to do better here. Okay, actually, you know, you get into the week and you realize, all right, we're going to run this play more. We like how it looks. We're going to run it more than thought. So, okay, now we gotta start to be expanding what we told him about this player, you know, how we're gonna block plays that have this motion attached to them, things like that. And you know, it was just coming from a lower level of football with a lot less support staff and a lot less people. It was almost mind blowing for me. I was like, Oh my goodness, there's a lot of details to go into this stuff, man. I was like it was not that way when there was, you know, I was one GA at a D two school, and I was coaching a position and like you're just trying to, you know make sure that you got the uniforms at the game, you know, and you get to a place like that and it is a lot different. And that was where I was like, okay, all right, I got to, I got to put my helmet on and bite down on my mouthpiece and figure this stuff out because it is a little different than what I thought it was going to be. And I'm forever grateful for him and just the patience he had with me at times. Uh, definitely at times, not always, but the patience he had with me to, to bring me along as a coach.
0: Yeah, I was really interested in – what was going on there at Ohio state at that time. And you saw just with what's happening with some injuries and different things, you know, over, over time that guys would just step right in and perform sometimes do better than the guy that they came in for. I think you, you saw it like this past year, you know, some, some of those guys had work with urban as well. And we had Brian Hartline on the other day, but obviously like in the bowl game, there were some guys out and his next guys were ready to go. And, I remember sitting in Urban's first clinic talk he gave after get getting the job. I think he only had it like a couple of weeks, and he came and talked with the Ohio High School uh, Football Coaches I Association. Yeah, yeah, and I mean the the whole focus was on teaching, and and I think he called it like on edge on edge teaching, and yeah. you know, really keeping players engaged. And uh, I was just very impressed by it. In fact, I I had written some articles, and and I ended up a guy over in the Wall Street Journal called me and interviewed me, and and that was in the Wall Street Journal on the day of the Big Ten Championship. So, it, you know, that kind of stuff, um, regardless of what you think of Urban, I think, man, that staff really had it honed in on how they were teaching the people in that building. I think that still goes on there today. I mean, there's guys who have been yeah. influenced that by that are still there, you know, and I think that's what you're saying there as you talked about it. I mean, that that's part of I think something probably that's been impactful to you as well.
1: You know, the one thing I'll take from that, that speech, and I remember watching, I was not, uh, I actually was not there quite yet. You know, and I remember dreaming about being there. I was coaching D2 football and and I drove up there one time. Everybody's got these stories. You know, I love how sometimes you'll see stories on football scoop or on some other outlet where like, Oh, you know, this guy did all this stuff to get a job and, you'll find out that there's so many guys in this profession that have put themselves out there to get jobs and to get opportunities and to get through the door. But, you know, I drove up there like two or three times to, to try to meet with people and just get my foot in the door somehow. And, and I mean, I snuck in one time, actually. And it was basically <laughs> I told,
0: totally, yeah, I will
1: call you in a, you know, a while. And then it was like months later, I ended up catching on with somebody. Anyway, long stories. But the one thing I remember sitting there watching that thing on YouTube and the one thing I took from that, that I'll always remember that speech, that he gave it to OH uh, high school coaches clinic was, the difference between a presenter and a teacher. Yes. And and it's really just the accountability that a teacher takes on for you actually getting the information and learning it. A presenter says, hey, I know all this stuff. I'm going to come up here and tell it to you, and what happens happens, right? And, you know, that's kind of like being on this podcast. Like, I'm not accountable for what the listeners get out of this, right? I don't don't know or really – you know, if somebody wants to get a hold of me, or whatever, that's great. I would always talk to them. But, like, it's not really my job to make sure they get the information. But when you're coaching, if you're accountable, you're accountable for what you taught that guy in that meeting and, and, and how he learned it and how he's able to, to use it. And I think that's the biggest mind shift that, that you have to make when you, you know, when you're getting into this profession and you realize that the stakes of major college football or professional football is, like, I'm not just accountable for what I taught them. I'm accountable for how they – respond to it, how they learned it, how they apply it on the field, and ultimately what it looks like on game day. And I think that's just like that. It's a hard mind shift for some people sometimes. And, you know, at times as people, we want to revert to like, well, this is what I'm coaching and this is what I'm telling them. And we just can't get it done. Well, you're accountable for getting done. You're not accountable for what you're saying to me. You're accountable for what it looks like on the field. So you got to make up that. And that's what um, I think that's probably the biggest thing you learned at, at that place at that time was, just the accountability it takes to be a great coach,
0: yes, you know I think some of it you look at how people come to this profession, and there's there's quite a few, especially high school level, even college level, their backgrounds, their degrees are in education, so you do learn to be a teacher, uh, but there's a lot of guys who jump right into it and maybe don't have that background in education, and I think that's something that's important to learn. You know, we had Alex Mirabal offensive line coach from Miami on here a couple of weeks ago. And I mean, the the whole theme of everything he talked about is coaching is teaching. Right. And just uh, I know I shared uh, some ideas in an article this week and thinking of Dante Scarnecchia from the Patriots. Right. 19 years with yeah. Bill Belichick, 34 years there overall, over 40 in the NFL. And, you know, he's talking about things he learned over time and emphasizing how it's how important it is the way you set up that meeting room, how important it is the way you engage those different guys and get the feedback, and you understand that they are getting it, right? That you're getting confirmation that these guys got it. And If you don't, guess who that's on? It's not on them. It's on you because no, ultimately no. you're responsible for
1: you're, Yeah, that's right, and you're responsible and accountable. And I'll tell you,
0: it, it's ironic you bring that up because – I
1: would say one of the top, if, I had to, if you asked me to list out like the 10 things that are the most important to me or, in, in coaching, one of the things that I, I think about every day in coaching and building practice plans and game plans and, and meetings is something I learned in college as a teacher in education to become a, become a teacher, become a health teacher. And that's backward design. And a lot of people, it's got a lot of different terms, but like knowing, start with the end in mind, right? Know where you got to get to. And that's what they teach you in in college, like about how to build a lesson plan. It's called backward design. Here are the goals and the objectives you have to hit with this lesson. Now, from there, how do we walk it back and how do we get there? How do we get from point A? That's point B. Now walk it back to point A and then teach it from A to B. And I think that's just such a simple concept. And everybody that's listening to this will probably be like, yeah, of course. But like, if you really evaluate how you're teaching things and how you're coaching things, are you really setting exact goals and objectives for what you got to get done and then walking it back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that that's such a, such a powerful tool. And it's such a simple thing to get good at, but just like so many things in life, simple's not easy. Right? No. It's a simple concept that don't make, that don't mean it's easy, but it is simple. And I think it's so important for guys and coaches to to really look at it through that lens as they build out how they're going to teach things and install things.
0: Well, I think that's an important lens because You know, ultimately, uh, nobody's perfect. You're going to have those situations. You go out to the practice field and you think you guys got it. And, man, what was going on today? And you're able to reflect then if if you understand this is my process, this is how I'm building it, that, you know what, as I look back on this, as I reflect on this practice and I go back to that meeting room session and maybe my walkthrough, whatever it might have been, my conversations with those players – here's where the breakdown was. Here's how I can fix it, right? So I think when you're setting things up that way, you then have the ability to problem solve it as well.
1: Yeah, that, that's certainly certainly true.
0: Coach, let's bring the focus in on you a little bit. And, you know, I know you said you've, you've grown in, in what your mindset was from the beginning. You know, I'm going to do it for me. And hey, uh, I think for a lot of us, you know, not being able to let go of the game is, is part of it. Might Mike willis uh, offensive coordinator at Princeton talked about it the other day he said he had a quarter life crisis he was sitting in you know in an office trying to figure out what the heck am I doing here, and went back to ball, so you know it brings us there, but certainly that doesn't remain our mindset for very long. You can't or you're not gonna survive in this game, but for you, thinking of you know your mindset, your approach to the game, you know it starts with you you know the the mindset that you have certainly has to has to be transferred in some way. If that if those things are important to your players, but for you, what is that mindset or approach to the game as a coach?
1: I think that I try, I try to be the most prepared, prepared coach that there is. I try to prepare at a level that you know I would hope. I'm trying, I'm trying to prepare at the best level that there is. I'm trying to out prepare everybody, and I think that just learning and committing to preparation and the things that you do during the week and leading up to the game or in training camp or whatever it is, just how serious and how committed you are to being ready for the moments that come up, you know I think those are just the things that are just so important to me as a coach and that I want to instill in players and, and it doesn't matter what you're doing in life, but you know if you are truly committed to just being ready when that time comes, and everything you do in your life is just so committed to being ready when that time comes. I think some people i, I you know I, my wife I enjoy the time i don 't have hobbies I mean I' got a family and Maybe I like to work out a little bit. But outside of that, I don't have hobbies. I don't watch TV. I don't do anything. Right? I do football. I don't hunt, fish, golf, none of that. Right? And so like, I've created a lifestyle where outside of my family, this is the most important thing. And how I prepare the players and, and the relationships I have with the guys and making them confident in what I do as a coach, Like, those things are so important to me. And, and teaching the players to reciprocate that as a working relationship And that was the biggest difference in being in the USFL and coaching, you know, 24, 25, 26-year-old men. It was like, look, we're not going to have a college coach relationship. That's not what this is going to be. We're here for two weeks of training camp and 10 weeks. I'm going to know you guys for 12 weeks. Some of you are going to move on. Some of you will come back next year. But a lot of you guys, it ain't going to be a college type of environment for you. But it can be a great working relationship, Right. And, that, and that's what it needs to be. And we need to understand that to do that, we got to reciprocate, you know, each other's commitment. We got to reciprocate how we look at things. And we, we both have to be as locked in and dialed in as each other. It, it doesn't need to be like a college situation where, you know, you're 20 hours a week doing football and I'm, I'm a hundred. No, I'm going to be a hundred hours, 120, maybe. Cause I was living in a hotel without my family and you need to be a hundred because that's what it's going to take to get our defense where we want it to be. And I just think, you know, I, I I love that sometimes I hear, and look, I don't necessarily judge how people see this, but like football, you know, it's it's just what I do. It's not who I am. And I think for me, I think that line's blurred a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I got friends from home that I grew up with that call me coach, you know, and like things like that, like that, that's what I'm known as. And that's who I am. And I don't, I don't see that as a bad thing, you know, to my kids, I'm a father, To my wife, I'm a husband, but to a lot of people, I'm not Dan. I'm I'm coach, and and that, and that's fine. And I I'm good with that because I think it is such a big part of my life. Like it's hard to say it's just it's not who I am. It's it's a big part of who I am. And I think that just the commitment to the game, and understanding how much the game has given most of us as coaches and as players, and giving back to it from the way we prepare for it and the, and the, how hard we play it. You know, I think that is that's probably a lot of words to say a, a little bit, but that's just what I'm passionate about is. How committed you are to the game, giving back to it how much you work for it, and I think we get back to it the best by by playing it hard and coaching it hard and and being committed to to having success at it.
0: You are in a unique situation, everything we talk about about you know building our culture and working together, you have a much shorter timeline. It's almost like maybe even thinking like like the Juco approach, right like your guys are going to be with you two years and then they're moving on, uh, and possibly you are too. you just never know. But, sure. uh, but there is, I think something that's driving everybody there. And, you know, just today I saw a tweet where, uh, I believe the the running back from the generals got a three year contract with, I think it was with the Cowboys, right? That's the goal for your guys. So it's not like, Hey, this is just for fun and, you know, cool. We're going to extend our careers. I mean, yeah. these, guys, these guys are hungry, right? They're, they're looking for more. They're looking to be in camp right now at this time of year. So, there is that that shared drive that you guys have and you have to lead that right and just looking at yourself as a a leader how would you describe yourself as a leader of these guys especially the the whole defensive unit
1: you know i i think a big part of me i tried to treat these guys like men i did not want to coach them like they were kids i did not want to be I'm like freshmen who come into college and they don't really understand the urgency of, of football beyond high school. They don't understand how competitive life is when you're not the best player on the team. Like I don't I didn't want to go through those hoops. So I think from a leadership standpoint, I think the players would tell you and at the end of the day, they are the ones who matter, that I led by treating them like men, holding them to a high standard, expecting a lot from them, but also doing a lot for them. And I think that when you really – when they can tell you're really trying to prepare them really hard, really well, trying to give them things that maybe they've never been given before from a you know, tip standpoint and like, hey, formational, things like that, just you're trying to take a level of details to them that they did not experience before. I think they know that you're working really hard, and I think they tend to reciprocate that for you. And I think those are the things that are important to me is like, I want to coach the guys like they're the adults that they see themselves as. You know, and in college, that's, that gets hard sometimes because you get, a, um, you know, you get a, an element of guys like, you know, they maybe think they're a little more grown than how they act sometimes, which is, is okay. But, you know, I think developing those guys is great, and I think it's a great part of the college experience as a coach. But, you know, in this experience, coaching older older guys, like I want to treat them that way. I tell them all the time, like, you wear a helmet, I wear a whistle. But we both work for the Michigan Panthers. Right? It's not like – not, I'm not the principal in the room – I'm not your dad. I'm not the guy here to, like, be the disciplinarian. Like, we do the same job, right? We're just here trying to win. I I do the breakdowns. I get the game plan. You execute the game plan. It's not different. Like, we're not on different levels here. We're on the same level. And, you know, I think that resonated well with them. I don't know. I mean, maybe they would say different, but I'm pretty sure pretty confident that most of them would, would appreciate how they were treated, how they were coached, how they were talked to, and just the respect that they were given. As players, and their input too. You know, I had four or five guys that would come and meet with me. You know, I always look at, you know, from a game plan standpoint. I'm sure we'll get into some of this over time, but you know, you get the game plan together early in the week, and then I try to refine the call sheet, you know, two nights before the game, like when we're going to call these things or whatever. And that's kind of my longest night. You know, like in college, it'd be a Thursday night. You know, USFL, we played on Fridays, Saturdays, or Sundays or whatever it was. But that that two nights before the game. You know, I'm up pretty late watching every cut up, figuring out when we're going to call the, the the stuff that we have in. And I had about four guys that would come and do that with me. They'd be there from 8 p.m. to 11:30, 12 at night when we're watching all this stuff. And you know, I typically don't make the staff sit in there with me, but you know, I had a safety, a linebacker, DN, end, and uh, well, actually two safeties, and they'd come in and they'd want to do that. So I think that you know, teaching those guys to take some ownership in it, and and just see themselves as my peer and my coworker, right? I thought that uh, resonated well with, with most of our players.
0: Yeah, I love that approach. And I certainly have had those players over time who, <clears throat> I mean, they they come by, they know what you're doing. They know what you're working on at certain times of the day. And as the season goes on and they understand your routine, they're just showing up. Like, you know, it's, uh, hey, it's my my day to put these things together. And, you know, they come in, sit down, wanna want to see what's going on, want to sometimes have input into it or ask questions. And I think that's an important part of it to be able to work with those guys. You mentioned it here, so let's let's stick with it. But uh, the rest of your routine for the week and how you're going to break this down and what it looks like for you as a defensive coordinator putting together that game plan.
1: You know, early in the week, I think it's easy or easier to watch some tape and know what you should be calling. I can watch first, second down, cut up, have an idea of where we need to put the guys, you know, based on the scheme that we already have in, you know, what structures we need to be in, what blitzes are going to hit. I think most of us can figure that out pretty quick. I think the key becomes, as you rep it, as you practice it, as you build out your week, on that Thursday if you're a college operation, you know probably Wednesday if you're a high school operation, whatever it is, that two days before the game, that's when you really got to hone in on when to call it. What is the down and distance? What is the field zone? Is there a hash tendency? Is there a score tendency? Go through all those field zones. Anything that you can do or anything you're comfortable with calling from, you know, my call sheet center is going to look like there's some D&Ds, there's some field zones, and then within those might be, you know, within those D&Ds might be field zone tendencies as well, right? So like second and seven in midfield, 40 to 40, might be certain things, right? So those little things that you can say, look, man, they're always – they launch the ball on every second along in the middle of the field. All right, so now that's like go back to the calls that are going to be good for that. And let's get them on the call sheet for that situation. I look at it as, as simply put, and I had this conversation with a friend of mine who was recording the other day, like early in the week you figure out what you need to call. Late in the week, you figure out when to call it, when is the best time to get those things called. And I think that linear process, especially as you're working through it week to week or day to day during that week, figuring out what you guys are actually good at, what you're executing well, you know, which runs you're being able to really get, you know, get fitted up really well versus what calls and what you know, what fit structures. And I think that' You know, that's kind of how I look at it. I think and that might be an oversimplification, but simple to figure out what you need to call, hard to figure out when exactly the best times to call it all.
0: We've talked a little bit about the classroom and your approach there as a teacher and taking this stuff out on the field. Let's just start with the simple things like drills. When you look at the drills that you're going to run or your, your defensive staff is going to run, for you, what what are the parameters or what are the checkpoints for you that you say, you know what, that's a good drill. It's going to help us get better at what we do. What, what things are an important part of that?
1: Well, Keith, I'll circle back a little bit and just kind of take you on this. I, I think learning any concept, whether it's a new defense or whether it's fitting up an old defense versus a new, new run or a new, an old coverage versus a new pass concept, I, I see it all as a linear path, right, like going from point A to point B. And the first thing on that linear path is, like, you're going to have a meeting about it. And I want to make sure before that meeting happens that the players know what's going to happen in that meeting, right? So if we're going to install something, I don't want the players to walk in that meeting, and that's the first time they heard what, what's going to be installed, right? So you get, I, I say, like, you got to have a pre meeting, right? Whatever you do, you send something out to the players, whatever you text them, you call them, you put something up on a drive, whatever you do. And you go through that meeting, and you go through those walkthroughs, and then you get to your drills, and your drills need to work the specific fundamentals of what you just learned. So if you're going to work some coverage, if I'm going to work cover three that day and I'm coaching inside linebackers and it's hook drops, my drills, at least somewhere within my drill that day, from an individual drill standpoint, it's got to hit those fundamentals, not necessarily the scheme portion, maybe the scheme portion, but the fundamental portion of what they're going to be expected to do that day. And then it goes from those drills to group work. And I think group work is probably where you learn – is where you really build the scheme and build most of your understanding. You know, so group work for me, like, let's say, to stay with that example, we installed cover three that day, and we're, say, for, for example, we're playing a spot drop cover three week rotation, and I'm coaching the linebackers. Well, we're in a one-high defense, and I would call that an even fit, and the backers would know what that means. So we got to work a squeeze scrape concept with the D-line, right? So that fits. That's going to be a situation in one-high that we're always going to be in, Right, we're going to be backs offset to the bubble, and we got to work a scrape concept. So that's one. That's one group work, and then we had, You know, whether it's seven on or whether it's half line or whether it's just matching routes versus with the DBs, and and we got to work that together. And now from there, you say, well, obviously those are really two, two obvious concepts that you got to you got to get group work in, involved in. But I think that it comes down to like, okay, that's like your training camp group work, but then you know, when you're going back and cover three during the season, what are the runs that you're going to see that you can work with, with the D line? What are the runs that you're absolutely going to see that week and that you can work and and you can refine it to where you're not just running the generic stuff. And the same thing with the routes with secondary. But, you know, I think the, the biggest thing is to just look at where you've struggled, what you're not executing exactly right. And then how can we create that situation? I think people, I hear a lot of people like people drills change a lot for some people And I think that, I think that the drill setup should be pretty consistent because if that drill setup is good enough to teach this coverage, and it's probably good enough to teach this other coverage. If it's good enough to teach these run fits, it's probably good enough to teach those. But I think what you do, as far as what you do within the drill setup, you know, I think has got to be ever evolving and ever changing to change who you're keying and how you're keying it. And hey, this week, we're going to be looking at this guy and not this guy, you know, this run, like. You know, for instance, I get a lot of split-flow runs, like the backers cross-key. If I'm not getting a lot of split-flow flow runs, they're both key and the tailback, probably. So, you know, those little details within each drill. But I, I do believe in keeping the setups consistent as far as, like, hey, on Tuesday, they know, man, when we get done with Indy, we're going right to – we're not having inside anymore. We're week six or whatever. We're going right to, you know, run fits with the D-line. Bang, right? And I think that that consistent setups are really important. But I also think within those setups are we – making sure that the little details that we do are are what's changing, what's evolving as as we see different offenses, as we prepare for different people.
0: I agree with you on the consistency 100%. And within those things you're talking about there, I think language is so important to your coaching, to your teaching, right? The, The good coaching cues are invaluable. So for you, what are some of those cues that the players hear again? Why are they so important?
1: I very much believe that. And, you know, I think as coaches, there's a lot of things you could bring up as to why that stuff's important for players. But the one thing that I think is underrated that that we do a lot as coaches is as the season goes, as we evolve, as we adjust our calls, as we realize, okay, somebody's attacking this part of this coverage and somebody's doing this and we're going to, you know, we're going to play this coverage similar to this. Like being able to take those techniques and that language and apply it in a different coverage or in a different call, or in a different blitz, or make an adjustment on the sideline. I think that stuff's so important, because if, if, if the players, and this is especially for young players, now, you know, I've had to coach, you know, UMass, I had a very, very young group, a young group of linebackers, and it was such a, a learning experience for me to just have, I mean, all freshmen, basically, one sophomore who never played, and then all freshmen. And really talented guys. I think you'll see some of those guys that surprise you as as years go on. You'll see some guys come out of that place, and people will be like, wow. But it it just to keep the language so consistent that we can make adjustments on the sideline or during the week is so vital. It's so vital because if they just learn what to do in that call, and then you have to make another adjustment to a different call, and it's the same as, but you can't really tell them it's the same as because you don't really have enough verbiage or enough language to say, hey, it's just this technique. You know, I've been in that situation and it is, uh, it's not good, right? It's not where you want to be. So, you know, when you keep that language consistent and you have different techniques and you really, it gets laborish sometimes to map out like, you know, all these different blitzes. I know, for for example, you know, we were an odd team and we, we ran a lot of sims and a lot of blitzes. So we talked about a trace, a gut, and a crash blitz and it's really A trace was you blitz the tackle's face if he's down, you're off his butt. If he's out, you go to be – a gut was the exact same thing off the guard, and a crash was the exact same thing off the center. And, you know, I – at times coaches would kind of be like, well, why do you have to have so many verbs for this language? Why can't you just tell them it's this off this? I'm like, you know, that seems to me and you as coaches sitting in the staff room that that would be very beneficial just to have one word for that. But I got a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old starting at linebacker. It ain't really that simple for those guys. I wish it were, I would have one word and we would rise, but we're going to adjust these things in the middle of a game. And I'm going to tell him, Hey, you're just running this, but now off this guy after he practiced it one way all week. And it just wasn't as effective. It wasn't nearly as descriptive as those guys needed it to be at the time. So I think that being able to be flexible, building out that language and building out, you know, words and terms that are very consistent, I think is just so important. And, you know, I think, you know, especially teaching young guys, like as the, as the younger they are, and I learned this, you know, in the USFL, I had one safety who had been in five different NFL camps. I mean, he had questions for me that you would have, or that, you know, if I was calling up some defensive coordinator that I've worked with before and said, hey, we're playing this fire zone concept, and, well, you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. Like, he was like just talking to a coach, you know, and, yeah, sure, I could call anything for him. He'd figure it out. Great but you're coaching 17-year-old, 18-year-old, 19-year-old college players or high school players, like the consistency in language and making them use the same words you use. Right. You cannot use the words. If you're using a different word than me, like we stop in the meeting. And if you keep doing it, it's going to be a problem, right? Like, but you need to be saying what I say, saying what I say so we can communicate and you can learn how I learn it because I'm the one who spent the time figuring out kind of how to learn it, you know? And I think, like you said, it's, it's so important.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It came up with uh, one of the coaches I interviewed in San Antonio at Texas High School Coaches Association, uh, Darby House. And, you know, his approach to it when he took over the program he's at is we're going to make it as easy as possible for the players, which means it might be a little bit harder for the coaches, right, The that you have to learn some certain things and, and you put it in place that way. I, I could think back, one of the, to me, one of the biggest compliments I received was sitting in the other room listening to uh, a group of recruits asking our, one of our players questions about our offense. And, you know, his response to the question was how, how easy is it to learn your offense? He's like, it's stupid, simple. That's exactly what I (laughs) want. Right. Like when they they think that, right. But it takes the approach though. Again, you got to build it around them first instead of thinking, well, I know this, but I've also studied the game for how many years. And run it a certain way for how many years, and this guy's coming right into my program, what's going to be the best thing for him to learn it? what you know like you your your terms that are you know basically center guard tackle right with the terms that you have very easy for yeah. them to to hook into that and say, oh, that's what this is right those those that framework yeah. of teaching that you put in place is so important
1: yeah and, and it is, and so you know it's uh it's funny, you know he might say it's stupid, simple, but it is for him but it took a lot of work for you to build that system out that way. Right. right. Like it wasn't, it wasn't stupid, simple for you. No. <laughs> like, it might be stupid, simple for him. And that, that's the goal, but you know, he don't understand that yeah, the level of work it took to build that out. That's right. And I think that, you know, like, and I always said, if I ever came into a situation where I was coming into a program as a coordinator, the first thing I would want to do is learn the old playbook before I implement a new one. Cause I, 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 I you know, and look, I understand in the heat of games sometimes you know, I've worked for some guys before that pulled out some play calls from 10 years prior when they were on a different staff with a different playbook. And you're like, wait a minute, what did he just say? Like in the middle of the game, you know? And I, so I get that there's an element to that, but I, I think personally I would be much more excited to learn what they called things and generally do that. than I would be to, to give them new, new verbiage for the same thing. If there are crossover calls, you know, now, you know, you got to look through it and see if it's all going to jive with what you got. But I, I think it's, you know, I've been, I guess I haven't really been in that situation where I've been on a staff where somebody new came in to be the coordinator, but, you know, I, I just, I know of a lot of people doing that and then it changed the whole scheme. And, you know, it's just like this from last year. It's just like that. And it's like, well, why don't we just call it that? Then the guys already know it. Only one person got to learn something new. So.
0: Yeah. One guy versus 70, right? I mean, it's, I always said, you know, what are we going to do here? You know, when I'd come into those situations, is, is it going to be one guy learning this or am I going to, from a learning standpoint, turn everybody into freshmen again? Right. Right. Yeah. It's not an easy thing Makes though. Sense, right? right. Sometimes it does. That's more right. work on you.
1: Yeah, it is. And you know, sometimes like I think there is also the element of like, well, this is what they called quarters, but we don't play it exactly how they played it. So do we really want to call it the same. Right. They're going to revert back to what they did for three years. You know, in the heat of the moment, sure. you know, we call this call. Are they going to do something that they did for three years because they associate that with that call? Like, th- th- there's reasons, and, and I get all that. But I think the first thing that you got to do is learn the old playbook and, and learn the verbiage and see if there's anything that's going to marry up well enough. And, and maybe there's nothing, or right. maybe there's everything. But you know, I wouldn't just dismiss it at you know coming in.
0: Right. I I agree with that. I think that's a a very good piece of advice. We're looking at evaluation, whether that's, you know, what just happened in the game, whether that's in practice, I think is invaluable part of what you do as a coach. And, And if you do it the right way, I mean, not only are you making that player better, you're also strengthening the culture because you're enhancing the trust that that player has in you. He sees that you got his best interest. And so, For you, what's your approach to evaluation? Again, whether that's practice or game and and, uh, I guess how how you might do that as well. Some people grade it. Some people just put comments together. What's your approach?
1: I think from a practice standpoint, if you have a structure in place to grade it, that's probably the best thing to do. But I also, I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, naive to think that that's the way every place can operate just based on what your time constraints are for different things. Because grading it takes longer than watching it and making comments. So I think in fall camp, it's best if you can create an environment where you can grade it because you're going to break camp with a too deep. And I think it's very beneficial for players, especially some of those fringe guys that maybe not complete culture guys yet or completely bought in yet, but for you to be able to say, this is the reason you're not the starter. Because you graded out at 67% for the, for the fall camp, and this guy graded out at 79. And this was your production, and this was his. And I think that's to do that and be very clear about that is important as the season goes. And as you're preparing practice and your, your game plan practices and, you know, your scouting practices, I don't know that that's as important, right? I think comments and teaching it are probably a, a little more important. And I don't know that you spend the time on, you know, individual plus minus or whatever your grading system might be. I don't know that that's as important as the season goes, but I do think it's important to fall camp. Now, you know, from, a, from an evaluation standpoint of practice, I think as a coordinator, you look at it now, obviously, you look at position players, and I think that's where you have to rely a lot on your coaches, though, too, is like, what players, you know, you're going to see mistakes as a coordinator, I'm not, you know, if you don't tell me the guy did a great job, I'm, I might not see it, right, because I'm looking for the problems, I'm trying to eliminate the problems, I'm trying to mess, uh, I'm trying to eliminate the areas where we're not executing very well, I'm trying to see what are the things that can get us in the game you know if guys are doing things really well maybe like a corner had great court work and great coverage and the ball didn't go there I might not I mean you know I see the guy covered I might move on right it's just so much time in a day right so I think that it's important that you rely on your coaches to make sure they tell you who's who's executing at a high level right and then if there are things that you know, just even if they're not executing. I think it's important to rely on your coaches for practice evaluation because you're going to be trying to address the problems that are showing up on the tape first and foremost. So, you know, I think that's important. And I think from an eval standpoint as a coordinator, what are we practicing? and are we getting the right calls versus the right plays? And it's so critical to me, you know, and I, I, I understood that, I think, as a position coach and you get in the seat full time and it's like, Man, this is harder than you think because, and and I'll say this, you you know, everybody, I think probably a lot of people at least make this, do this, go through the same mechanics in the beginning of the week where you make the, I make the one hit run tape, right? I make this run tape and, you know, it's all the one hit plays and, you know, you're getting (laughs) going through it. And man, man, this counter with this motion is really hard, man. We got to rep this. We got to rep this. And that's on a one hit tape. And you realize you're breaking down nine games and they ran that twice. Right, you might not see it, right? So you you get to the end of the week and you realize, man, we spent three reps, which you know in the USFL with the roster limits and things, we don't. I, I imagine we probably get about a third of the reps that most colleges get, probably a little less than most proteins get. But you know, it is what it is. You got to adapt and adjust, and everybody's getting the same amount of reps, so it's not like it's not woe was me, but it's just it's a little different than what a lot of people might be used to. And so the reps are so critical. It's like. Okay, we spent a lot of time on this because it is a tough play to fit up. But the likelihood is we need to get these top two runs repped versus every single call we can be in. And we need to get it on tape and we need to coach it off the tape. And I think utilizing, you know, as I was talking to a friend of mine this morning about it, like he's a first-year coordinator. I was like, look, you're going to have a tendency in the walkthroughs that you do pre-practice to walk these calls versus the same calls you're going to get in the practice because you want the practice to look good. You want confidence want the players to be fitting the stuff up and we're going to do it fast and confidently. But then you're going to get to the end of the week and you realize you fit up power four times, twice in the walkthrough, twice in practice, and they were all versus the same call or three out of three out, because you didn't do it well the first day. So you re-repped it the second day. And now you did it in the walkthrough versus this call. And you did it in the practice versus that call. Then the next day you did it in the walkthrough versus the same call. You did in the practice versus the same call. Now you got four shots at that play and you only did it versus one call. And, I think those are the things that are so important for a coordinator to be conscious of. And that's whether you keep a spreadsheet, whether you tick it off on the hit, hit chart, or just are we getting the right amount of reps at the right plays versus the right calls? And you can't get it all. I know you can't get it all, but can you get the things that are going to show up in the game? And I think that the job of the coordinator, the, the, maybe the most important job as far as the game plan goes is, are you out in front of, of the problems that you have and can you use the information on the tape to figure out what's coming next you know you watch you watch a team and maybe you got six or eight games on them and, and you see these these top eight run plays that they have like which ones are you going to get so you got to use the structures that they're running them against right well this is a four down structure it's a two high structure whatever however you break it down whatever's for you but like are you using that information that you have on the tape to figure out what's coming next for you and that, that's what to me is so important it's like you know you might watch a team and man they ran counter they only ran it in this one game you know you but you put in a cut up they ran nine counters well they ran it versus one team so they couldn't stop it so in seven games they ran counter like one time one game but they ran it nine times well it's not really the second most important run is it right so they ran it versus one team that couldn't stop it so using all that information and not just mindlessly watching cut-ups, I think is so critical as to staying out in front of what you're going to get. And I think, you know, I can look back in the 10 games we played this year, and I think there were some of those games, man, as a staff, we were out in front of it. I knew, and our, our D-line coach and DB coach, we knew. Like, all right, this is what's coming, guys. Like, don't rep this, rep this and this. And then there's some games, honestly, we didn't know. And we got, you know, you get surprised by a thing or two. And at that point, now you're just relying on the fact hopefully your players are better. Hopefully they can figure it out on the fly. And that's a bad position to be in as a coach. It's not where you want to be. I don't want to put the guys out there like, all right, I hope you guys figure something out that I didn't see coming. Like, not, not where you want to be. All right, so I think that, you know, can you use what you have, the information you have, what's affected you as a defense and what the offense has done to put pressure on people that are in similar structures and use similar people, especially in a run fit, how they attack those off those defenses and what's affected you. And then from that information, what are you going to see? And then I think, you know, when you can do that, you can start pinpointing that stuff. You, you, you're usually a pretty damn good coordinator. And, uh, it's a level that, you know, I aspire to get to, but uh, I think that we should all <laughs> aspire to get to that. But,
0: well, it's a, it's a process and certainly appreciate that insight and all the insight you've given us today. And, the last question I ask everybody is you know, looking at what you do as a coach, what's that one thing on or off the field that you do that gives your players the winning edge? I think
1: that I would say it is the, the expectation and the demand that I put on them in a – I don't want to say a subtle way, but maybe not in a loud way or an aggressive way, but in a calm – like camaraderie, team-built demand and expectation. And I think those are the things that, you know, when, when you have a lot of expectation for players and you demand they do things correctly and, you know, you expect them to match your work ethic and how much you care, yeah, you know, I think for the most part, the players that you want on your team and around you are going to respond to that. And when they do, I think they get pretty damn good. And it's fun to watch. You know when they respond to those expectations and demands, and I think the biggest thing in that in that scenario is identifying the players who aren't willing to do that and motivating them to do it, and then at some point deciding that they're just not they're not ready for that you know if that's the case, but you know the demands and expectations that you put on them and I, I feel like you know I hope that's what the players would say from you know having great relationships where you can put those demands and expectations on them.
0: Well, we're excited about the season that's coming up for sure. And and last year, one of uh, my favorite episodes to do every single week was when I'd sit down with DJ Elliott and talk some defense and reflect on some of the games we watched that past weekend and really then translate that to how can we learn from it? How can we apply right now in season? What can we do to make our practices better, better adjustments, whatever it might be? And so I'm excited to announce that. Coach Carroll will be joining us this season to talk some defense and you know pick up where Coach Elliott left off. So uh, I hope you guys will tune in and join us for that. And certainly, as we get going, you know the the whole objective is to be interactive too. So if you have questions, you know whether it's to to Coach Carroll or to me, reach out, DM you know any of the other contact information you have on us. We'll certainly try to get some of those answered on air as well. So. Coach, I'm excited for what we're going to do. I appreciate the time that you took today and uh, look forward to a great 2022 season.
1: Yeah, Keith, I look forward to it too, man. look forward to uh, being critical of some of these guys coaching this fall and not somebody being critical of me.
0: (laughs) It's always easier when it's that way. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. Beginning Tuesday, we'll start our in-season deep dive on defense with Dan Carroll being our guest host and taking us through some of the things that he's seeing in games from every level. Again, connect with us on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski and at Dan Carroll. I'll put both of those in the show notes so you know how those are spelled. Send us questions. Uh, Tune in for different things we're going to be discussing throughout the season, week to week. I think it's going to be an exciting series and i'm definitely looking forward to it all of our in-season series begin on monday we have the mushroom society with bob wiley will be joined by other offensive line coaches we have oc office hour with a rotation of different offensive coordinators joining us to discuss what they saw from an offensive perspective we have teach tapes with steve hauser and we'll have a master coach interview each week with some of the greats from the game from the past. Follow all we're doing at coachingcoordinator.com and again, follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski.